0: Sometimes you gotta go back, to actually move forward. I don't mean all the way back to dental school. Let's face it, that was an awful experience. But when it's all said and done, you still have questions. That's what Paul and Justin are here for,
1: to answer your questions
0: as your dental business mentor.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Dental Business Mentors. We are your dental business mentors, Dr. Justin Bullard and myself, Dr. Paul Edgison. What's happening, Justin? How you feeling, man?
0: I'm doing good, man. I am doing good. I'm focused. I'm ready and just getting after it, brother.
1: Nice, nice. I feel focused, too. I mentioned on the last episode, people are like, this guy's still sick. No, me and Justin record four in a row. We get together and we, for an hour and we record four of these. So on the last episode, I mentioned I was sick, but today is my first day in three days with any caffeine. And part of me wonders, was I miserable because I didn't have caffeine or was I really sick? But yeah, I'm there, man. I'm focused. I'm amped up. I'm pumped. I love it. So what's our question today?
0: The question is to go the route of acquisition. So purchasing a new practice or doing a de novo or startup.
1: And that's a good question right now because it's definitely a different market now. We're in a tough labor market, and I mentioned this on the last episode, is that I think a startup might be tough right now just because of labor. That's the only reason why I think it's tough. We saw like supply and labor costs as far as like build outs and stuff. That went through the roof this past two years. But I feel like that's starting to come down as I'm in some real estate development deals and we're seeing all like the subcontractors are getting a little bit more hungry because the work's starting to dry up. So I think that's going to change and that's going to come back down. I know some people were paying like $300 a square foot to build out a dental practice, which is just insane to me. But I think when you're looking at startup versus acquisition, I'm going to be more partial to a startup because it's what I did. But what I always say is you can do either. But the only thing I would discourage anyone against, and I don't like this and I see it a lot is that we see these practices for sale they're often from a dentist that might be in their 70s and it's a three op practice with no room for expansion thing hasn't been updated in 50 years and you're looking at maybe 350 to 500k in annual revenue and you're like wow look it already has cash flow you know these patients have been with their dentist for decades and the chances of them sticking around with you aren't as high So you're going to lose some of that cash flow. But what I try to urge people against doing is that if you buy an old practice with old stuff and it looks old, you're going to have to redo it. And now you're also constrained by this three-op space. That's just not the model of dentistry anymore. We're more volume. Can you make a three-op work? Sure you can. But I think the bare minimum for me would be five-ops, if not six at this point. And you're kind of buying yourself an old, dilapidated startup with old staff that's been doing things the old way. And depending on what you want and what you want to do with your practice, I almost feel like getting an acquisition sometimes can be more work than a startup. Now you have a safety cushion. You got that safety net that there's already cash flow there and you kind of know what you're getting into. But at the same time, you're going to go in there if you want to do things your way, you're probably going to turn over the whole staff. You're probably going to redo the entire finishes in the office. What are you really buying when you buy an office that's that small and has no room for expansion, so I would say if you are looking in the acquisition front, I would get a looking at offices maybe doing like seven hundred thousand to one point two million an office like that, something where is it is important that the bonny doc stays around. I would say a recall cycle i wouldn 't want to keep somebody around all that long unless they really want to hang you 're going to try to do things your way you 're going to want that person gone. But I don't like the acquisition of the small value-add practice. I think you're going to put as much energy into that as a startup, and I think you might as well have just started off with the end in mind, knowing what you want to do, and knowing where you want to go, and setting yourself up for future success at the beginning. Now, saying that, I like startups because you can create your culture. You can create your culture the way you want it, and you can go forward from there, bring on new team members. They come into that culture. It's all good. You don't have to change anybody. You can create it exactly how you want it from the beginning. The challenge with the startup is finding a location. It's finding something that's demographically favorable, finding something where you can do well against the competition, where you can stand out among your competitors that are local to your area. If you just open up anywhere, you might set yourself up for a big challenge that you didn't need to. So I think if you're going to do the acquisition, go for the right office, go for the right amount of collections. If you're going to do startup, make sure you focus on the location. But like I said before, man, this labor market sucks ass. And I would just be so like, I know how fast we had to hire people when my startup was growing. And I don't think the labor market could support what we did 10 years ago, because we would have had to hire some like desperate hires. And I don't think we would have had the culture we had. And we're going through it now. We're, we're trying to hire and we're we're interviewing. But I'm not gonna lower my standards to hire a warm body. I'm not that desperate. I mean, I am somewhat desperate, but I'm not that desperate where I'm gonna bring somebody into my team that I know is not gonna work out. So that's pretty much all I think about is when you're looking at it in this market, that's what I see, that's what my opinion would be. What say you, Justin?
0: You brought up all the key points, right? When you're taking a look at either an acquisition or startup, it's like buying in real estate, right? The most of your money is made in the buy, right? If you buy right, you're going to generally have a much more successful project and those numbers, those cash on cash returns and your overall equity in the deal looks a lot better from day one. And so when I look at an acquisition, that's sort of the way you have to look at it, right? Is am I buying right or am I overpaying? And so if you buy right, that's number one. And so I think when you look at these things, my advice is because there's so few deals out there that people are able to get their hands on, Plus, there's conflict of interest with brokers and how valuations are done, and the exiting dentist, uh, et cetera, has provided certain financials, but all the due diligence is on you at the end of the day, right? You're buying it. You're paying for it. You're getting the loan. The good news is you're going to have to work with a bank on this, so they're going to want certain debt service coverage ratios to be met. They're going to want to look at the cash flow and some of those things. And then – so they help you – cap the downside on some of the risk because it's a second set of eyes. You know, they won't generate a loan on something like that if it's just a crappy deal overall, or if they don't see your ability to service that loan. But here's the caveat. The caveat is they have personal guarantees in place, which means, yeah, they know that if you're able to earn, you know, a couple hundred grand out of there, they can do that. You don't have anything left for lifestyle at the end of the day. So they make money. The seller makes money. The question is, are you going to make money when you acquire And I've seen a number of doctors not buy right and not do their due diligence or have a plan, and they're sort of stuck. And so some of the things that I've seen happen are, for example, people will buy practices where they're not able to replicate the production and that doctor's leaving. That's a big one. They've bought sort of specialty type practice where 50% or more of the procedures were things that probably don't need to be redone for about a decade. And the hygiene departments weren't super strong. When I look at acquisitions, I look at them from a different lens. The first thing I'm looking at is, because we want to partner, is provider retention. If there's no provider retention there, they're going to pick up and leave. I don't want to buy the practice unless I have a very solid partner or plan to bring in somebody who will take a portion of that equity and who will be their boots on the ground. Now, if you're a solo provider, that's you. So, you know, you're going to be a good partner to yourself. So sure, there will be a provider plan that you have. If you're the provider, make sure you look at the procedure mix and you can replicate all that production. But even still, I'd like to see that dentist around, you know, for some time.
1: Because you're not going to be in there practicing dentistry
0: me personally i'm not going to be in the practicing dentistry if you're going to practice it you're looking at it from a different lens and so that is something you have to factor in but procedure mix is important right if you can't go in and produce the way that doctor was producing i've had doctors come in try to buy practices where the doc's doing over 100 grand a month and this doctor can't produce more than 40 or 50k if their life depended on it Mm -hmm. you have no business buying that practice you will fail and you'll start making out-of-pocket payments from you know within the first three months the other piece is the lease that they have in place. You have to look at upcoming capital expenses. So you buy the practice for a million dollars today based on the cash flow, because that's what's most important, right? Cash flow, new patient flow, provider retention. That's like the trifecta, right? That's where most of your money is going to come from. And so you have to look at the capital expenses. Are you going to have to dump 200 grand into this thing, replacing panorexes or CDs or shares, uh, so on and so forth, right? and so that's important and then really looking at the profit and loss statements and make sure that you actually know what you're buying and you have to do the due diligence on it you have to tear it apart sometimes in a competitive market you overpay for things and you don't ask for the tax returns and things like this that you need to do due diligence because you're afraid you're going to lose the deal but I'd rather lose every deal than do a bad
1: one yeah you know what i realize about all of these real estate deals i do i look at these like profit and losses for these guys they're they're old landlords and they want to sell they all lie. They all are full of shit. Every single one is full of shit.
0: I agree. That's been my experience too. And it's no different for people who are selling you a dental practice, to be honest with you. If the guy's got one foot out the door, I mean, what are they trying to do? They're trying to maximize what they take home and then sayonara, right? And it's your problem for 20 years now. And the last thing I want to be doing, because I've done this, I did this on my second acquisition, is we're always chasing the projections, chasing the numbers, right? I don't like to do the deals that way anymore. So, you know, you want to really know those finances. And so for an acquisition, really what you're buying is you are buying cash flow. You are buying existing charts and you are buying the new patient flow through the reputation or whatever marketing that they were doing, provided you're going to sustain those same techniques. You will lose out if you can't replicate the procedure mix. You will lose out if there's capital expenses. You will lose out if you don't at least forecast for these, if you lose 20, 30, 40% of your team. If that dentist leaves and there was three hygienists capable of doing a lot of profit in hygiene. So if there's three hygienists and when you show up, all this guy's been doing is just watching cracked fillings and hasn't done a crown for a decade because they're afraid of rejection and and all they wanted to do is just make their life easy versus do what's absolutely best for the patient, then oftentimes they haven't presented comprehensive treatment. And if you're going into a culture like that, all the team members are going to see is, oh, look at this guy. Dr. X has been watching this for years. Why are you? Da, 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 mm-hmm. right? And then you got to deal with that nonsense. And so these are all reasons why having a fresh start with a startup can be better. hmm And because we're coming up on time, I'll just say this about a startup. I think both startups and acquisitions can work. Look at the big guys. Look at Heartland Dental. They're doing both, right? They have a de novo arm. They're not stupid. They're doing it for a reason. They have smart people looking at their numbers. They know where the industry is going. They've been at it for a long time. Why are they doing that, right? Oftentimes, when I'm trying to make decisions, I look at the big guys. I say, what are they doing?
1: Well, they're doing both mb2 is doing novos now too
0: right because they have to right they can't there's not enough inventory to continue to play with to grow and so you got to find partners who are willing to find key locations in areas where they've done feasibility studies and they know that demographic studies show that this is a great place to be and then they go and put in the money and they start the practice they have a provider there who's a partner so they've dealt with what the major issue which is provider right like you need a capable dentist so if you are a capable dentist you know how to run the business, then looking for a great location and doing your due diligence on a great location can oftentimes be best case scenario for you. Where now what you're looking at is feasibility on location. You're trying to build it as lean as you can. And your whole goal becomes making sure that you hit the ground running grand opening onwards. So, you know, you attack these in different ways. Bottom line, both can be good. Startups oftentimes will give most docs a clean slate. And I think uh, startups can be a little bit easier, a little less risky for doctors that don't know how to do this due diligence, aren't willing to, let's say, bring on a third party to help them do this due diligence. I would shy away from just signing the dotted line on an acquisition. a startup, it's very clear what your expenses are. Um, it's a little more predictable for you in that way. So pros and cons to both. You've already kind of gone through those, Paul. I'll cap it there. And if people have more questions,
1: they can submit and we can do a deeper dive on any one of these. Awesome. Dentalbusinessmentor.com, $179 a month, over 200 videos of Justin and I helping you and your team out with whatever you want. There's so much on there. Go check it out. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.